All right, it's great to be here with you tonight. Um, Brother Pastor Travis Lowe is uh, at a conference this week, and so uh, I have the blessed opportunity to be with you here tonight to teach the Word of God. And it was actually at a conference uh, about 10 years ago that my life took a pretty dramatic turn. All right? I was at this uh, youth ministry conference, and while I was at this conference, I met a guy named Dustin. Uh, some of you, if you've gone to Revolve with us, have uh, met Dustin or, or heard him teach. Uh, he's been our, our retreat speaker the last few years at Revolve. So I was at this uh, conference, and I met this guy named Dustin. And I got to hang out with him a few times throughout the week. And towards the very end of the week, I had dinner with, with Dustin one night. And as we were sitting there talking, um, I started to tell Dustin, who was from Louisville, Kentucky, and was a youth pastor at that time, I started to tell him how I was really interested in going to Southern Seminary in Louisville, um, that I really, I really was hungry for theological education, I really had this desire for more theological training. But I told him, I, I just don't really know how to make that happen, because I was living in Missouri at the time, about eight hours away from Louisville. I didn't know one person in Louisville besides uh, Dustin. And so I said, I don't really know how to, to make this transition, transition take place. I'd love to be able to be on staff at a church and work there, but I, just, I don't know anyone. I've been praying about it. I just don't know how to make this happen. And Dustin kind of got this weird look on his face, and uh, he said, I might be able to help you make that happen. And I was like, okay. And then about four months later, I was packing a U-Haul um, with all my stuff, with two big hairy dogs, uh, with a pregnant wife, to drive eight hours to a city that I'd only been to one time before in my life, in which I knew absolutely no one but, but Dustin. And so I uh, transitioned there to go to Southern Seminary to, uh, to get my MDiv at Southern, and was able to join uh, the staff of the church that Dustin was on staff at. And, and God just opened this awesome door for me uh, through Dustin. And so Dustin, is a, he's an awesome dude. He's become a great friend of mine. And Dustin has uh, kind of an interesting testimony, I think. Uh, Dustin grew up Catholic, grew up going to the Catholic church. And I've heard Dustin share his story several times before. And he talks about how uh, it was his senior year of high school, and he was over at a friend's house, and this friend and his mom started asking Dustin some kind of theological questions. They started asking him about his belief in God and started asking him questions about, how do you know you'll go to heaven? If, do you think you'll go to heaven someday? And he said when it came to that question, uh, he said, I, I do believe in God. And he kind of gave the answer basically of, um, I think that I will end up in heaven one day because my good, for the most part, outweighs my bad, right? You kind of think of the scale, right? The old school scale. And as long as my good outweighs my bad, uh, like I'm good. And so that's the answer that Dustin gave to his friend and to his friend's mom. Well, they grabbed their Bible and they opened their Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And they read these verses to Dustin. And Dustin said, honestly, my first thought and reaction um, to when they read these verses you know, there, there are these verses that maybe you're familiar with, or it is by grace that we have been saved, through faith. Uh, this is not of ourselves, not by works. It is the free gift of God. Dustin said when, when they read these verses to him, his first thought was, those verses are not in my Catholic Bible. 
All right? Maybe they have like some jacked up Protestant Bible that they're reading from. But those verses, they, they are, they're surely not in my Catholic Bible. And so he said he went home that night and got out his Bible, turned to Ephesians chapter 2, looked at verse 8 and 9, and sure enough, those verses were in his Bible as well. And he said it was at that moment um, that he began to step into this journey of coming to faith in Christ through faith alone uh, by the Word of God uh, from Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which is the passage that we're going to look at tonight. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and uh, that is exactly what we're going to be talking about tonight is this idea and truth and reality of faith alone. So, y'all are in the middle of this series on the five solas. And so, uh, we have on this back wall five pictures that dually function as acoustic sound panels, if you didn't know that. All right, that's why my voice sounds so smooth and beautiful right now. Yeah, you're tracking with that, right? So, uh, Travis figured since we have these, these pictures hanging up uh, on the back of the wall, it'd probably be good if we all kind of had an understanding of what they mean. So, big picture, big picture, the five solas. Uh, the solas of the Reformation, uh, they're five distinct biblical principles that sought to offer some strong corrective to the Catholic Church for some faulty beliefs and practices um, that they were holding at this current time in history, all right? And it's because of the five solas, largely, that the uh, Protestant church split from the Catholic church about 500 years ago from today. Now, the five solas, they still have a great application uh, to us today and great meaning to us today. They largely help us to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ and help us to stay centered on the glory of God. And so there's definitely great value in us still today studying the five solas, which, as I said, y'all are in the middle of doing. So in the previous two sermons, uh, Travis has kind of unpacked two of these and started with sola scriptura, right? Um, so focusing on this truth, this reality, that um, scripture alone is our only ultimate and final authority. And then the last time you guys met, he talked about grace alone which is largely tied to what we're going to talk about tonight, faith alone. So, faith alone. This sola, it seeks to answer the question of all questions. It's the greatest question that we could ever ask as human beings. And that question is, how can I be made right with God? How can I be justified before God? This is the absolute greatest question that we can ask as human beings. Uh, the Reformers certainly thought so, all right? The Reformers uh, thought the doctrine of justification as the primary uh, principle and material of all theology. And the reason for that is because they saw the doctrine of justification as the very heart and substance and matter of how a person uh, can be saved. Here are a few quotes from a few of the Reformers. Calvin said, Justification is the main hinge on which salvation turns. Thomas Cranmer, architect of the English church and the Book of Common Prayer, said, Justification is the strong rock and foundation of the Christian religion. 
Whoever denies this doctrine is not to be counted as a true Christian man, but as an adversary of Christ. Strong words there. And Martin Luther said, When the article of justification has fallen, everything has fallen. Without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. It is the doctrine over all doctrines. Man, I couldn't, couldn't agree more with what the Reformers are saying here. And the reason is, uh, the doctrine of justification is indeed God's answer to the greatest question that we can ask. How can we be made right before God? And this question that we're asking, that I'm putting before you tonight, uh, it's, it assumes something. And it reveals something that is true about us. And that truth is that we, uh, in ourselves, we are not right with God. We are not right before God in ourselves. In fact, the Bible uh, paints a picture of us that is, um, that is very dreadful. The Bible describes us as sons and daughters of wrath. Sons and daughters of disobedience. Standing before a holy and just God. And if we are not made right uh, with God, if we are not made justified before God, then we will suffer eternally. And so this is uh, the, the greatest question. And what is, state, what is at stake here with this sola is the souls of men and uh, the future of the church. And so um, I just want to thank Pastor Brother Travis Lowe for giving me this like really light, easy topic to talk about tonight. So Pastor Travis, when you're listening to this, thank you. I appreciate that. So, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting to be here to talk with you guys about this, uh, but it is a weighty subject indeed. So, to dive into this sola, uh, we are going to kind of pick up in the passage that Travis left off uh, in and when he talked about grace alone two weeks ago. And so, if you are here, Travis taught on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. And he did a great job in those seven verses. I listened to that, to that sermon a few days ago. He did a great job in, the, in those first, using those first seven verses um, to show us the hopelessness we have, our, our inability to be able to earn salvation by our own works. Um, Y'all probably know this, but Travis does a great job of making us feel hopeless, right? It's kind of like spiritual gift of Travis's. He does awesome at making us feel, feel hopeless. But I say that like as positively as I possibly can because it is when we realize that we're hopeless that we also realize, man, we need grace. We need a Savior. And so Travis used these first seven verses to point out things like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where it says that, that we are all dead in Christ. And, and we are all dead in sin and all dead in our trespasses. And so we, we are hopeless and we need, we need the grace of God. I just want to throw a, a disclaimer out as, as uh, I listen to Travis's message. Um, I feel like I need to stand up here and defend myself a little bit, all right? If you were here two weeks ago, uh, he made mention of me and told a story about me as he was talking uh, about the song by a guy uh, named Luke Bryan, I think. Um, and the song is called something like, Most People Are Good. Right? So he was using this song to show how the world has a pretty false understanding of, of what people are and that a lot of the world will say most people are good, but the Bible obviously says something very different. We're dead in our trespasses, right? And he talked about how 
I pointed him to that song, right? So I want to stand before you and just defend myself a little bit. I do like some country music. I will confess that, all right? But we're talking more like the great Garth Brooks. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know who Luke Bryan is. I don't know one song he sings. I didn't know he sang that song, but I just YouTubed the title and found it. And so I make that confession to you. I, I personally uh, like more like profound, insightful music, like Bon Jovi, all right? Um, Journey, Def Leppard. I mean, August 18th, are going to be in concert together at Amelie. So you can look for tickets now and come with me if you want. But I just want to defend myself a little bit because Travis just kind of put that out there about me and left it hanging. So I felt like it was important for me to clear the air on that a little bit. But um, Travis set up the passage that we're going to be in tonight really well, as I said, as he showed how the magnitude of our sin shows us um, the need of the mag- the magnitude of the need of our grace. And so uh, God extends this salvation. God extends this justification to us uh, by his grace. And how we receive this justification is really the main thing we're going to be talking about tonight as we look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So hopefully you're there. If not, if you don't have a Bible, I think it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10 to you, and then we're going to try to unpack it a little bit. This is what it says. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. Um, These verses are really a great summary of the doctrine of of justification, all right? Um, It's it's a great summary in in saying that it's an act of God. It's an act of God uh, that he saves uh, saves sinners. It's an act of God that he declares sinners righteous, and it's by grace, through faith, in Christ, alone that he does this. And there are really kind of just three parts that make up this, the, uh, this verse that are good to kind of define a little bit. Um, the three parts are works, grace, and faith, right? So he says that it, it's not by works, it's by grace, and it's through faith that we are saved or that we are justified. And so when we talk about works, um, works are what are within us. Uh, works are from ourselves. Works are what we accomplish or what we do on our own. Um, so it's not by works, but it is by grace. Grace focuses on, in on what God does, what God has done, what God accomplishes. Grace is the free gift that God gives to us. Faith, on the other hand, um, faith receives what God has done for us. Faith allows us to receive uh, this free gift, this justification that God has accomplished for us. So it is not by works that we are saved. It is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone that we are saved and that we are justified. Um, It's important to kind of, I think, just really clearly define faith there. And I kind of just said it, but just to to make it absolutely real clear. Um, I think we can define faith biblically as um, it's the channel or the vehicle by which we receive the justification of God. 
All right? Faith is the channel or the vehicle by which we receive the justification of God. So it's important to realize that faith is not a good work. In fact, faith is not a good work at all. The reality is, Jesus Christ did all of the work for us on the cross already. And it's through faith that we receive the work that Christ did for us on the cross to be justified. Uh, Kind of an example or illustration that's a little bit silly, that's not perfect, I'll tell you up front, but helps maybe give a clear understanding of what this looks like. Um, Say it's it's June or July of, of the summer in Florida, so it's 99 degrees, and I go out uh, for a week, Monday through Friday, and I spin uh, eight to five up on top of a roof, working like crazy, tearing off shingles, replacing shingles. Uh, I work 40 hard hours to replace the roof on a house. And as a result of all the hard work I did, I get a paycheck, right? Now you, on the other hand, um, you, that whole entire week, you are sitting in your living room in the air conditioning, um, in your boxers, playing Super Smash Brothers, um, eating pizza rolls, drinking Mountain Dew. That whole entire time, I was up on that roof working like crazy. Now, I decide I'm going to take my paycheck, all right, and I'm going to uh, come offer you my paycheck as an absolute free gift. So I walk over to my boy Justin, and I've got my check right here, which is actually my rent check. So if you take it, um, I'm going to be homeless. So, um, so I, I, hand over my, I hand out my, my check to Justin, and what's he, what's he do? He simply has to take up his hand and receive it. He's going to give it back, right? Okay, there you go. So he reaches up his hand, and he receives the check. I did all the hard work. He did absolutely nothing. He just reached up his hand to receive uh, the work, uh, the, the, the profit of the work that I did. Well, in a similar way, that could be said about us with Christ as well. Jesus did all of the hard work for us on the cross. Uh, we, we did no work. We have absolutely nothing to offer. In fact, even when we reach up our hand to receive by faith the justification that God created for us, even that is an act of God, uh, is an act of God's origination in itself, right? And so um, it's through faith alone that we receive the justification uh, by God and are made right with God. Um, this is what is meant by faith alone. All other acts or works are excluded. So, I think it's important here to kind of uh, point out and really thought, think about and talk about what true biblical saving faith is. Because the reality is, we live in a world today where a lot of people preach uh, what is often referred to as easy believism. All right? Uh, people will, will, will preach that for someone to, uh, to be saved, for someone to be justified before God, all they need to do is, is simply have this kind of vague, general belief in Jesus. Or all they need to do is, is, is just say kind of a, a simple prayer in which they really have no conviction over sin and no true faith in Jesus. And uh, I stand before you today uh, from the Word of God saying that is not true biblical saving faith. Um, most theologians would agree that there are three elements to faith. 
All right, three elements to saving faith. Spurgeon, the way he describes these three elements are knowledge, belief, and trust. Different people will put different elements on them, but many agree that there are three elements to faith. And and Spurgeon says knowledge, uh, belief, and trust. And so just to walk through those real quickly uh, with you tonight. Um, First off, starting with knowledge. Faith starts with knowledge of the truth. Pretty simple, right? Kind of makes sense. Faith starts with knowledge of the truth. This is what R.C. Sproul says. He says, I cannot have God in my heart if he is not first in my head. All right? Faith starts with knowledge of the truth. I cannot have God in my heart if he is not first in my head. Uh, It's interesting in the years leading up to the Reformation, um, the church had had largely neglected teaching the word of God to people. Uh, So much so that most people and even uh, most clergy or many clergy at least uh, did not really know the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the church, on the other hand, was just uh, telling people that they just need, needed to implicitly kind of trust in the church and trust in what the church was saying uh, for them to be in good standing with God. Um, so it wasn't so much based on knowledge of the scripture. It was more knowledge of the church and what the church was saying. And that reminds me of a a story I heard one time. Uh, Honestly, I'm not sure if it's true or if it's just one of those stories that pastors tell and, you know, it gets passed around to other pastors. But the story was uh, there was this gentleman and he was uh, wanting to become a member of his church. And so uh, he had to go through an interview process with the elders of the church before he could become a member. Good idea, I think, right? And so um, he's, he's in this interview with the elders and the elders asked this gentleman, Um, what do you believe about salvation? And the guy says, well, I believe what the church believes. And they say, okay, well, what's the church believe? And he says, well, the church believes what I believe. And at this point, they're kind of frustrated and perplexed a little bit. And they say, okay, well, what do you and the church believe? And the guy kind of paused and thought for a second. And he said, we believe the same thing, right? And so there wasn't a, an answer that was based on, on Scripture. It was just kind of this vague affirmation of what the church believed without really even knowing what the church believed. And so uh, Calvin said, Faith rests upon knowledge, not pious ignorance. Faith rests upon knowledge, not pious ignorance. And so knowledge is the first element of faith. But knowledge in itself is not enough to save us. That kind of moves us on to the second element of faith, which is belief. Belief. Obviously, it's possible to know the gospel. It's possible to know the facts of the gospel and to be able to regurgitate the gospel. You can know it without truly being saved because there's a difference between knowing and believing right? Obviously, there are probably a lot of professors in secular uh, universities today that teach in the philosophy, philosophy department that can pretty clearly articulate what the gospel is. They know the facts, but they don't believe them uh, themselves. And so, uh, we can know and not believe. We can know and not believe, but this isn't faith. And so, um, this brings us to an interesting question, I think, um, When we're talking about knowing and believing, it brings us to an interesting question of, well, what must we know and believe to truly be saved? 
What must we know and believe to truly be saved? Um, Wayne Grudem offers an answer in his systematic theology book, um, and I think it's, it's kind of on the, it's on the uh, uh, simple side of things, but Grudem says what we must know to, uh, and believe to be saved, he says it is that all have sinned, uh, the penalty for sin is death, and Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. Interestingly enough, uh, Corey and I were talking about this earlier today. Interestingly enough, in those three things, nowhere does he mention the resurrection. Uh, I told Corey I've considered emailing him at times saying, hey, did you like forget the resurrection or did you like really intentionally leave it out and you don't think it's a part of what people need to know to truly be believed and saved? If y'all are curious about that, want to email him yourself and you can answer, let me know what what he says, right? Um, But I think about my own experience as a 16-year-old kid who grew up never going to church, never reading the Bible a day in my life, uh, being invited to a student ministry when I was 16 years old in high school, and um, thinking back to the, the very night that I would say uh, I, I believed and, and put my faith in Christ and became justified that night. And um, the person that was teaching happened to be Pastor Mark Saunders, who is our senior pastor here. He was my high school pastor. And I can very clearly remember him uh, up on stage uh, using a whiteboard, drawing up the bridge illustration. Are you all familiar with the bridge illustration? So there's man on one side and God on the other. And there is this space that separates them. And man is separated from God. And what has separated man from God is sin, right? You draw sin, you write sin in, in that gap between them. And there's no way for man to get to God on his own, right? We can't be good enough. We can't go to church enough. There's nothing we can do. We can't bridge the gap. And so then to bridge the gap, you draw in the cross. And you say um, that Jesus died for our sins and our place Um, so that we could be made right with God, so we could be justified with God, and we can be saved. So it's through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Like I said, I can can tell you that night, um, I truly think that I changed um, from from death to life. Um, But also at that time, I I don't think really in any way I could articulate the Trinity, all right? I stand before you as a seminary graduate now, having a little trouble saying these things, but I don't think I could articulate the full um, humanity and deity of Christ at that time, all right? Um, But I do honestly and truly believe that I passed over from death to life um, with that knowledge, with that belief, and with that trust, which we'll get to next, um, that my sin had separated me from God. Um, that I deserved hell and separation from God, but through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ um, and faith in him, I was saved. And so minimally, I would say, I would mostly agree with Grudem and say those are the minimum things that a person needs to know and believe and trust in, as I said, that we'll get to. Um, But more preferably, there would be other things that would be known as well such as things about the Trinity, such as things about the deity and humanity of Christ. And so I would encourage you, if you find yourself in a gospel conversation with someone, um, that you would include some of those other things as well to help them understand the fullness of God and the fullness of his word. So, as we talked about, um, it's not enough just to know, right? We have to believe as well. 
But it's not enough to just know and believe either because we see from James chapter 2 that even the demons believe, right? So even the demons and even Satan know that God is real. Even the, even the demons and even Satan know that, that Jesus died and Jesus rose again. Um, they believe that that is true. But obviously they are not saved or justified. So knowledge and belief are not enough. That takes us to the third element of faith that we must have as well, which is trust. And so trust is, it's a, it's a real yielding and a real uh, surrender of, our, uh, of ourself to Jesus, which goes far beyond knowledge and belief. It's this place where we uh, kind of jump over the line about uh, living for ourself and being about ourself and giving that up to, to belong to God. Um, it involves a radical change in values, um, and I think it's also where we find repentance fitting in with faith as well. And so repentance is uh, idea of turning from sin and turning to God. And so th- these are all things that are involved in trust. In the high school ministry, we say a lot, a faith that saves is a faith that changes. All right? A true faith, a, tr- a true faith that saves is a faith that absolutely will change someone. Um, it makes me think about when I was in college, and I had a good friend that didn't grow up in church either, and I'd never really talked to him about the gospel, never really talked to him about things of the Lord. And one night, um, through some interesting circumstances, we ended up in this really in-depth gospel conversation, and I kind of just put it all out before him, um, the gospel, and was walking him through some things in, in my Bible. And as uh, I had this gospel conversation with him, I have absolutely no doubt um, that he understood what I was saying. Uh, he, he had the knowledge. He even claimed to believe it at that time. And as I was explaining it to him and talking to him about sin, um, he began to weep, um, really almost out of control. Uh, he was, he was, appeared to be just so broken over his sin. Um, and, and that night, uh, he said he wanted to, to give his life to Christ, that he wanted to turn from his sin, trust in God, put his faith in God, uh, follow him with all the days of his life. And man, we, we both weeped like crazy that night. And it was uh, seemingly like this real and, and powerful uh, moment where his life was changed. But then after that, uh, nothing, nothing really changed in his life. There was really no change in uh, how he thought, uh, how he lived, how he acted, the choices that he made. Um, and he would say, uh, even to this day, that, that he's not a believer in Jesus Christ. I was talking to a friend of mine about this one time. And I said, man, I just, I just don't get it. This was several years ago. And I said, we, we were talking, and man, he was, he was crying. He was, he was weeping over his sin. And it just seemed so genuine. And it just seemed so real. But no change ever took place in him. And my friend said something that I, that I thought was really insightful and really profound. Um, he said, probably what happened in that moment is he was remorseful, but he was not repentant. All right? So yes, maybe he was remorseful. Maybe, maybe he felt bad about some of the choices that he had made. So he was remorseful, um, but he never moved to repentance, right? So there was never this element of trust involved where he turned from that sin and turned to God. And it left him with a faith that wasn't a saving faith and eventually became no faith at all. So um, to have saving faith, we must have knowledge, we must have belief. We must have trust um, by grace alone, in Christ alone. 
And so, uh, kind of just to, to wrap us up here tonight, I just want to consider kind of one objection that we might find, um, largely from our Catholic friends, about uh, this, this doctrine of faith and loan. Uh, they may say, okay, so you say we are justified uh, by grace alone, uh, through faith alone, but what about James 2, right? What about James 2 that says faith without works are dead? Are works not part of the equation? That's a question you may encounter, a question you may, you may have thought when you read through James chapter 2 yourself, where it says things like faith without works are dead. So the question, are works not part of the equation of justification? And um, I'm here to tell you, yes, actually works are part of the equation of justification. But here's the absolute uh, key thing. And I, I'm going to tell you, I stole this from the video that y'all are watching in your small groups. So you're probably going to hear this again if you watch the video in your small groups. We just have to make sure that good works are on the right side of the equation. All right? So faith plus good works equals justification is anti-gospel. All right? We've got works on the wrong side of the equation there. Faith plus works equals justification, not gospel. Works are on the wrong side of the equation. Um, the right side of the equation, and what would be a more accurate, accurate depiction, would be faith in Christ equals justification, which produces good works. All right? Faith in Christ equals justification, which produces good works. And it kind of goes back to this idea that a faith that saves is a faith that changes. So if, if we have true faith in Christ, if we're trusting in him, if we surrendered our life to him, good works will overflow out of that faith that we have. Uh, as Calvin said, I think this is a, a great quote, and others have said this over the years as well, faith alone justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is not alone. Right? Faith alone justifies, yet the faith which justifies is not alone. So if we have true biblical saving faith, uh, it will result in good works. And that's basically uh, largely what verse 10 points to in this chapter, right? Uh, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so... Um, Good works are absolutely a part of the equation, but we've got to make sure we get it on the right side of the equation. And then just one last thing to wrap us up here tonight, um, just to consider what's, what's one way that sola fide kind of affects us today and applies to us today on a daily basis. And um, the reality is because our justification before God has uh, nothing to do with our works, because our justification before God is through faith alone, um, we can stand confidently and secure uh, in our place before God. Uh, we're put in a position by, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, where God is 100% for us. And there is no accusation that can stick to us. There is no condem condemnation uh, that can hold to us. And there is no separation uh, that we will ever experience from God as a result of that. And so uh, we stand 100%, uh, God stands 100% with us. And so uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, um, is the answer to the greatest question uh, we could possibly ask. And man, we should, we should rejoice in it. Uh, we should revel in it. Uh, we should rest in it. 
um, and we should share it with others as well. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're grateful and thankful um, that our works are not on that side of the equation, that, um, that we don't have to live in fear, uh, we don't have to live with uncertainty of where we stand with you. Uh, you say in First John um, that, that these things you write to us so that we may know where we are with you, God. And I pray for, for anyone in this room, Lord, who, who may not know where they stand with you. I pray that um, through the power of, of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to them um, that, that true life, everlasting life, comes through, uh, comes through faith and the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. I pray for all of us in here that are followers of Christ. May we uh, find rest and peace and confidence uh, in the faith that you have called us to. And Lord, may we seek to lead others uh, to rest in you as well through faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.